What a joy it is to be here with you, church. I am uh, excited. This Christmas season has been so uh, much fun, and we have been uh, walking through this conversation for the last several weeks. If you're just jumping in right now, don't worry. I'll catch you up, but we've been walking through this conversation about who needs Christmas, who needs Christmas? And uh, if you think about all of the stuff that surrounds the Christmas season, it'd be easy to take a, an attitude that says, who needs it? Who needs the extra expense and the stress and the relational tension and cleaning the house and shopping and buying things and trying to make everything work? Who needs Christmas? And, and the conversation that we've had for the last several weeks has revolved around this story of who really needs Christmas. And we started with a conversation about the reality that the whole world needed Christmas and that the Christmas story didn't start where we think it starts, where we often tell it. We usually start the story talking about a young couple who are surprised to find out that they're pregnant. But as a matter of fact, the Christmas story starts with an elderly couple who are frustrated that they've never gotten pregnant. And we talked about the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God initiated a promise and a plan that through this family, through this line, that not only would they be blessed, but that the nation's would be blessed. And that this was an insane concept at the time because some 4,000 years ago, nations didn't bless other nations. That wasn't a thing. We didn't have aid programs to go and help other nations. Nations conquered other nations, or they assimilated other nations, or they fled from other nations, or they made peace treaties and kind of lived at a tension with other nations, but they never blessed other nations. And so we talked about how for centuries and then thousands of years, this promise to be a nation that blessed other nations, it didn't seem to be any way that this promise would ever come true. But then at just the right time, at just the right moment, something incredible happened when nobody was looking for it, when everybody had kind of left behind this idea, this notion that from this Jewish culture, a family was going to start that would bless other nations, when no one was waiting for that, something incredible happened. Rome came on the scene and Rome began to conquer the known earth and something that has very seldom happened in the history of the world happened. There was peace in the Middle East. And during that peace, there were roads developed, there were trade routes developed, there was the ability for, uh, for one government to be in control of all of this land. You could walk across the known earth saying, I'm a citizen Romanus, and you could go unmolested from all the way across the known earth. And so in this exact moment, when it didn't look like anyone had hope for any other type of blessing, God used the perfect moment when the message could spread from community to community, from town to town, from place to place, the infrastructure was in place. And there was an opportunity at that exact moment for the Christmas story to start. And so the world was waiting for Christmas. And then last week, we talked about this incredible tension that not only did the world need Christmas, but God needed Christmas. And we had this tension of how could God need something? But God did need Christmas. And he needed Christmas because he needed to demonstrate exactly how much he loved us. And we had a conversation about how love, come on now, must be shown to be known. And I can tell you I love you, but if my behavior doesn't look like I love you, you're not gonna believe me. And so God needed to demonstrate his incredible love for us and our value. We had lost sight of our value as sons and daughters. And we were in a relationship with God that was very religious and very mechanical. And so Christmas came because God needed Christmas to demonstrate just how compassionate and kind he wanted to be towards us. So the world needed Christmas so that the entire world could be blessed by God. 
God needed Christmas so that all of us, come on now, could experience the true love that God has for us. But we're going to kind of close this conversation about talking about how much we need Christmas. And uh, this week, I'll light the Advent candle at the end. In our Advent season, we're talking about joy. And uh, what a joy it's been to hear our kids sing and to sing with you guys. What a joy it'll be when the Niners get a win tonight. I mean, when... uh, (laughs) Just seeing if you're still with me. Just seeing if you're still with me. <laughs> what a joy it'll be. <laughs> Man, I just love, off a cliff we go. Come back. <laughs> All right, that's my own fault. It's my own fault. I got you. What a joy it is to, uh, to be here in this moment. You know, it's a funny thing about joy. We don't use joy as an expression very often when we're describing ourselves. When we say, oh, how are you doing? No one, no one looks in the mirror and goes, you know what? You're joyful today. Like joy isn't a, a language that we use to really describe ourselves. When, when we think about joy, it's always someone else or something else, right? Uh, yesterday, uh, my daughter had a, a birthday party and she's opening presents and there's just joy coming out of her, right? And uh, which is so nice to have one that does that. My boys open presents, it's like, oh, cool. And they throw the next thing, right? But my daughter, for whatever reason, she got the thing where it's just like takes a moment and appreciates it. And there's like a moment of joy and she gets it. And we're like, yes, you know, you're so exciting to, to feel that. And then we feel joy, but we wouldn't describe it as joy. We never really point joy as a thing that we think we need, It just isn't one of those uh, conversational points. And so we don't use it very much and we look for it in others. So I think it's important that we even recognize what it is we're talking about when we say joy. And the dictionary defines joy as an emotion of great delight or happiness that's caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. It's a keen pleasure. It's elation. Something has to be exceptionally good for us to feel or use joy as the adjective. And so... For the last couple of weeks, we've been in the Christmas season, but I haven't told much of the traditional Christmas story. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about Joseph's experience in the Christmas story, because it's funny to think about joy and then look at his situation, because his situation didn't seem very joyful. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to be in Matthew chapter one for a little while. And if you don't know where Matthew is, um, kind of go to the middle and then keep going to the right and then stop and you'll be at Matthew. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But I'm in Matthew chapter one. And we meet Joseph, and if you haven't been in church very often, you probably still know who Joseph and Mary are. And uh, part of the incredible truth of how the world needed Jesus is that this uh, family with no substantial wealth, no name, from a town that is of no consequence, Nazareth, is a family that each and every one of you here, thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, can identify the members of this family. That's insane if you just think about the historical truth of that and the significance of this family. And so we know Joseph and we know his story and we have little little idols of him, unfortunately, that we put on our mantle, no, teasing, (laughs) in our nativity set. And we we have a, a picture of who Joseph is. But I don't know if we think about his circumstance very often. And here's Joseph, Matthew chapter one and his perspective of how this thing goes down. And it says, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to who? All right. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let's stop here for just a second. This is an interesting predicament to find yourself in. This is before Maury Povich and paternity tests. There was no big reveals. It's your baby. Like we didn't have that as a thing yet, right? And in this culture, at this time, 
it is a very dangerous predicament for Mary to find herself in. You have to understand that in this culture at this time, all of your generational wealth passed through the family line and specifically through the firstborn. And if it was possible that the firstborn wasn't actually your child, that had devastating consequences to a family line and a family wealth. And as a result, there were tremendous rules in place to make sure that this didn't happen. This is a cause for concern. As a matter of fact, legally, Mary is in quite a bit of potential trouble to find out that she has not yet come together with her husband, but she's pregnant. She's at very much risk. And so this is the context of the story. And we're introduced to someone for the first time in this place, and it's the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. What a fascinating uh, uh, name and a fascinating title. Some versions will say Jesus, the Christ. And many of you are more, more familiar with Christ as his, as his name. Now, if you aren't familiar with Christ as his name, Christ is not his last name. Some of you say it like it's his last name. Some of you say it in anger when someone cuts you off in parking, and that's a bad move. Christ is a title. It's a title that he has. And Christ is a, uh, is a Greek uh, language where uh, Messiah would have been his like, more Hebrew or Jewish language. And the Hebrew language, uh, Messiah, means savior or deliverer. And Christ means anointed one or chosen one. And so they have similar means, but they're all titles. And so it's like if I was called Mike the pastor, and eventually you just started calling me Mike Pastor all the time, and people started thinking that my last name was Pastor, but that's not my last name. Jesus' last name isn't Christ. That's his title. That's his role. Messiah is his title, and that is his role. But there are some things implied here. Messiah being Savior, the one who came to save us. How many knows when you get saved, it brings you some joy? I remember the first time I ever uh, saved anyone. I was, I think, about eight or nine years old, and I was at my friend's house. Um, they lived in uh, another town over, and uh, they had a big house and a big pool, and he had a younger brother. And I was about eight or nine. My friend was also eight or nine, and his, his brother was out swimming with us who was like five. And uh, his brother's name was Matthew, and Matthew was running around the edge of the pool because he's five, and he falls in, and nobody notices except me. And I have this moment where I realize, I look around and there's like nobody else paying attention and Matthew just poof, down into the pool he goes, right? And so I was like, I better go get him because I was a strong swimmer. Thank you for sending me to the YMCA, mom. And uh, I was a strong swimmer. And so I dove in and I grabbed Matthew and I pulled him out and he's coughing up water and it was not, you know, it was traumatic in the moment, but everything was okay. But I remember the joy when his parents came running over and when Matthew was like, thank you, thank you. And I, th I remember thinking, I'm like a hero now, right? Like, how's this work, right? And what joy did for me, it, it, uh, it filled me with hope and excitement. But I remember the first time that I experienced some joy and, and that idea of a, of a Messiah, when we get saved, come on now, there's joy. Some of you have been in tough situations and someone's come to the rescue and that's a catalyst of some joy. And so we meet this Jesus who is the Messiah, the savior who's coming and going to bring joy. Now, Jesus is an interesting name. Jesus's name isn't really Jesus in the scriptures. And this is gonna throw you guys off a little bit. We meet Jesus here, but, but his Hebrew name isn't Jesus because in Hebrew and in Greek, there's no J sound. 
right? They don't have a G or a J. That, that sound doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, his name is actually closer to Yeshua. Yeshua. If you say it in the Hebrew and you say it in the Greek, so some of you are like, why isn't God answering my prayers? And God's like, you're messing up my name. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing, right? But it's pronounced Yeshua. So every once in a while you find a snooty person and they're like, Yeshua. And you're like, Jesus. And he's like, you're like, Yeshua. And you're like, God bless you. And you're like, no, Yeshua is like his name. But Yeshua is actually his, his name. Now, here's why this is significant because the joy that they were hoping for was gonna come through the name Yeshua. And Yeshua is this Hebrew verb, and it's where we get the name Joshua from. And if you know your scriptures at all, you know there's been a Joshua in the scriptures before. And Joshua had a very specific skill set. He killed folks. He was a warrior and a leader and a conqueror. He was the one after Moses when they went into the promised land who led the, the military campaign to conquer the promised land, to wipe out everybody who was in the way so that the promise of the land would be given back to the Jewish people after the exodus and all the slavery. So this picture that Joseph and Mary and the other uh, Hebrews of that time had was they were praying and waiting for a savior that would bring them joy who would be in the model of Yeshua, a warrior, come on now, who would conquer because Rome is in control. They tell us when we can get up, when we could lay down, how much taxes we have to pay, what, what ways we can worship. And we're waiting for God to send us a Yeshua who will come and conquer them and wipe everything out. Does that make sense in the narrative of the Christmas story? This is why his name is so important. You're wondering how we got the name Jesus. I'll tell you how we got the name Jesus real quick because it's stressing you out, I can tell. So in Greek, right, in Greek, they also don't have the sh, the sh sound or the h sound. So you can't get Yeshua and the male names in with the s, right? So his name went from Yeshua to Yesus because you lost the sh sound and you lost the H sound and you added kind of the S. And so then for about 400 years in the Greek, there's no Y sound either, it's just I-E, but it's like Isus, Isus, Isus. And so that's how the Greek culture based on Latin, well, Latin invaded. And then again, there's a lot of language there. You didn't come for a history lesson, but we got to Yesus pretty good. And we didn't get to Jesus until about 1500 uh, AD after that uh, timeline when we started allowing the J sound to come in and they started taking the eyes and kind of making different distinctions. Anyways, Jesus is actually an okay name to call him, so you don't have to re reboot all your stuff. And it's way easier for all the music to have a two-syllable name than a three-syllable name. So all you artists that are trying to do that, it just helps. But, uh, but why is this significant? It's significant because the picture that they had was a Yeshua was coming, a conqueror was coming, a battle-tested warrior was coming, and, uh, and that wasn't the picture that they were expecting, and who would come and save them. So here comes Joseph's story, verse 19. Joseph, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He then had in mind to divorce her quietly. Guys, this is not a joyful situation he finds himself in. There's hope for someday a savior to come who's gonna be a warrior, but he's not expecting that. Rome's in control. Nothing has happened for almost 400 years that is significant in, in their faith. There's been no angels, there's been no prophets, there's been no nothing. And he's got a soon-to-be-married young woman. And uh, she's like, by the way, I'm pregnant. And he's like, awesome. 
so that's not going to be okay. And the way this works now is I have a couple of options. One, I can kill you because you're officially my property. We've had the transaction, and you are now potentially putting all my inheritance and, and stuff at risk. I have legal right to do that. It's a death sentence, but I don't want to do that. I'm kind, and his kindness is on display. And he says, you know what? I don't want to put you up to that. Um, what I'll do is I'll just quietly divorce you. And it was a thing he could do. He could just go to the priest and say, hey, look at the situation. She's pregnant. We haven't done what happened, you know, what it takes to get pregnant yet. So since that's not the case, we're going to go ahead and, you know, I'm going to send her back to her family, and they can deal with her shame and disgrace. But we don't have to kill her. He's caught between law and grace. He has every right to be furious and frustrated, but he takes a compassionate position. He just wants to avoid the contract. It's actually an incredibly kind response in this situation. Joseph's a good man. Mary's the one who's in a bad spot at this point, and he's trying to choose the kindest road he can to help her out. It's not cruel, but it's certainly not a joyful situation. <laughs> certainly not something that would fill you with joy. And then verse 20 says, but after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now, this is important. Joseph's dad is not David. We get his family line. Joseph's dad is not David. But this is to establish to us that he's in the line or the tribe of King David. And so uh, he, if you went up to great, 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 grandpa, somewhere in that range, you would see David. And so he gives him this title, which helps him to remember his identity. Come on now. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why would he be afraid to do that? Again, his potential family earning, their wealth, everything's at risk if that child is not his child. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a trip. This is the trip, and we, gotta accept, we just got to understand this. We've heard the Christmas story so many times that maybe this has become normal to our way of thinking. But people who have not done what married people do don't get pregnant. And then when they do get pregnant, angels don't show up and tell dad, don't worry about it, it's cool. It's the Holy Spirit that's done this. Now, Joseph's response is going to be pretty incredible, and here's why. For us, we look back and we go, well, yeah, they were waiting for a virgin to be with child. Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin will be with child and she'll conceive, right? But we gotta be honest about this conversation. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you a little bit here. The word virgin in Isaiah, it's amah, and it doesn't necessarily mean virgin. It just means young maiden who hasn't been married yet, okay? And the best translation of it works as virgin, but it doesn't necessarily mean virgin. There isn't a guarantee that the Hebrew culture was waiting for a virgin to get pregnant. That wasn't necessarily a thing. They just knew that they were going to be oppressed. There was going to be an outside group. This is what the prophet Isaiah said, who was in control, and that God was going to raise up from a young maiden, a child, the idea of a Holy Spirit coming and impregnating, that was not a Jewish cultural idea. As a matter of fact, that was a more of like a Greek idea. Zeus did things like that. Those kind of stories and mythos, that came from other cultures. So there was no reason for them to have been expecting things to go this way. This was a unique circumstance. It was a mind-blowing thing. If you had a story, if someone told you, hey, there's gonna be a, a young woman a young maiden who she's gonna be betrothed to get married and then she's gonna be with a child. Would you assume that, okay, well, she's engaged, she got pregnant. Would you assume that that means that she's gonna be a virgin? 
or not, probably not. And so this is outside of Joseph's grid. This is outside of his perspective. And so I want you to understand how incredible it is that he responds to the angel this way because he's, he's, like, he's like, wait, what? This is what's happening? And he's having a dream. This angel's talking to him and he says, what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, he says, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from his sins, from their sins. This is mind-blowing conversation after mind-blowing conversation, if you're not with me. Okay, wait. First of all, she's going to give birth to a son. I'm going to name him Yeshua, right? And he's going to save the people from their sins? I'm not sure how often you've thought about this, but how have you ever, have you ever thought about what you need to be saved from? Because if you were to ask somebody, okay, you know, what do you need to be saved from right now? I don't know how far down the list you'd get before you'd say your sins. You might say, I need to be saved from this debt that I'm in. I need to be saved from this broken relationship. I need to save from this job or this lack of a job. I need to be saved from, you know, there's a lot of felt needs before you get to sins. This is an interesting bomb to kind of drop into the conversation. And there was tension all the time when they talked to Jesus and Jesus would forgive sins. And they're like, how can you forgive sins? Forgiving sins was a crazy outside of their grid idea. They had a system for forgiving sins. They had a temple. And they had a long list of laws and rules that said, you know, if you do this thing wrong, you bring a dove and they'll sacrifice the dove. You do this wrong, you bring an unblemished lamb. This time of year, you come up and you do this. We'll pour out this. And like, they had a whole system for forgiving sins. Forgiving sins was not a felt need. You know who they thought needed forgiveness of sins? Rome. Why don't you forgive Rome's sins and deal with them? They've come in, wiped us out, conquered us, right? And while you're at it, wipe them out. Deal with that. Forgiveness of sins was not the felt need. It was, it's a, it was not the thing that they were looking for in the moment. It's not, they needed a Yeshua. They needed a, a warrior, someone to come in and wipe everybody out. And so if I'm Joseph, my conversation looks a little bit like this. Um, Angel, I understand what you're saying, but you're weirding me out. I have no expectation that this child that's in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. That's weird. And what are you talking about? Forgive us for sins. That's not a felt need. What we need is someone to come in and wipe out Rome. So what Joseph says is nothing. And here's why Joseph says nothing. Because when the angel of the Lord shows up and tells you what's up, your natural response should be to shut up and let it happen. And listen, my response initially is, come on, I want to I debate this into, into something. But when the angel of the Lord shows up and says, this is what's going on, Joseph actually has a little wisdom here. And he goes, okay, <laughs> I got this. I see what you're saying here, right? And you look at the end of this piece of the story. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, right, which also means young maiden, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the name Yeshua means God saves. When Joseph woke up, listen to this. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He woke up, and he said, okay. I don't know how all these pieces are going to fit together, but I've heard the voice of God, and I've seen the plan of God, 
And for some reason, he's chosen this to do this. And so I'm in, and I'll take a step. If you look back at verse 21, I think sometimes we don't read this correctly. So I want to read it one more time. It says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I think we read this, and what we hear is, he will forgive people from their sins. I think we don't read this and hear, he will save people from their sins. Because the big difference to forgive someone and save someone, it's a big difference. Because the cycle of forgiveness looks like this. I mess up, God forgives me, I go back to the fresh start and I get to do it again. And if I do better, great. And if I do worse, I mess up, he forgives me and we go back through the cycle again. And they had a system for that already. They had a process for that already. They had everything they needed for that system to work. They had lambs to slaughter. They had a temple where they were worshiping at. They had everything they needed for the cycle of sin to just keep going on and on in their life. For the process to be, I mess up, he forgives me, I try to do better next time. That's not what Yeshua came to do. He came to conquer something. It just wasn't what they thought. He came to conquer the pattern and the system that we were locked into of trying to make things right with God all the time so that we could be free and go and sin no more. As a matter of fact, the best picture of this, and uh, for time's sake, I'll just run through it with you, but the best picture of this we see in John chapter eight when Jesus has a woman who's been caught in adultery brought to him, and some of you are familiar with the story. There's some religious uh, elitist and they find a woman who's in one of the most tender uh, type of, uh, uh, of situations you can possibly be caught in. She's having an immoral relationship with someone. We won't even get into the fact that there had to be two to tangle, and we don't know what's going on with the other person. They pull her out in order to shame her, but also to trap Jesus. They drag her, God knows how far, across town to where Jesus is teaching at the temple steps. He's sitting on these steps and he's in front of the temple and they drag her to him. She's in some state of undress and they're hollering and shouting and, and, and making a, a bit of a scene and a riot and they drag this woman who's caught in this tender moment, vulnerable and ashamed, and they say, the law says that we're supposed to throw rocks at her and kill her for this behavior. What do you say, Yeshua? And Jesus reads the room. This is what Jesus is so good at. And he sees that the facts don't match up with their story right off the bat because the temple isn't where you killed people, first off, right? She's 30 yards away from where they sacrifice animals, but this isn't where, they take people down to the Valley of Gehenna outside of the gate if they're going to do executions. And so the fact that they brought her here isn't about her at all. It's about what is Jesus's heart towards people who have made mistakes. And they've heard him say time and time again that, that he'd forgive sins and they were frustrated and angered. In fact, as a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him for saying that more than they wanted to, to, to deal with him for anything else because they couldn't handle this conversation about sins because who are you to say that me and God are okay? So he looks at them and he's reading their heart and situation. He's at the temple steps. He knows it. You know what else? They can't kill her anyways because they're not in charge. Rome's in charge. If you could just throw rocks at anyone and kill them anymore, then they would have done that to Jesus a long time ago. So they, they, they know that he'd be breaking Rome's law even if he said it was okay to do it and he'd be in trouble with Rome for violating that and carrying out an execution without going through their channels. So it's a trap any way you look at it. 
So Jesus sees that their hearts are wicked, and, and we see this, come on now, we see this in our culture, in our world all the time. We, we look at people who are in positions of influence or power, and we try to get them into some kind of catch-22 to get them on the record in some way that will cause some group to hate them, whatever group it is. We don't even care which group it is. Just make a decision. Go on the record on this, on this controversial thing, because if you go on the record on this controversial thing, we know we can get at least some group to hate you. It's not changed much, has it? So this is what's happening and Jesus sees the woman and sees this situation and he says, okay, maybe you're familiar with the story of this part of the story. He says, he says, I get what you guys are saying. So if you want to drag her out to the Valley of Gehenna and throw rocks, I won't stop you. You can do that. But then he makes this profound first half of the comment that we talk about and then second half that we don't. I'll actually, maybe I'll show the verses up here. I think I have it for you in, uh, in John 8. And he says, but whoever is without sin, you get to be the one who throws the first stone. He says, yeah, you're right. You have an entitled ability to go ahead and do that based on the law. If you want to take that step, go ahead. But the one of you who has already conquered and saved themselves from sin, that's the one who gets to throw the first stone. Otherwise, you're just as guilty as she is. And it says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Come on now, because they had a longer list. It took them less time to think of their stuff, right? Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Look at how he responds to her. He says, Jesus straightened up and he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And this is the part we always look at. It says, no, sir. And he goes, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And we stop the conversation there a lot of times. What we don't realize is the conversation goes a step farther. And he says, then go now and leave your life of sin. You see, the thing he came to conquer was giving her freedom to move away from the pattern of behavior she'd been stuck in. And the thing that Jesus came, Yeshua, to crush and to defeat for all of us and the thing we needed was permission to move away from the patterns of sin and the hold that sin has had on our lives and the destructive tendencies. He doesn't just say, just go back and you're okay now. He says, go back and be free and get free of the pattern of sin that's been locked into your life. You don't have to be who you've always been. That is the promise of Christmas. That is what Yeshua came to do. That is why Jesus's birth was so stinking important. And that's why at this Christmas season, we can have some joy. Because we're not stuck, and we're not locked in, and we don't have to be who we've always been. Now, I have about 30 more minutes worth of stuff, but there's another week before Christmas. So what we're gonna do to celebrate and close is I'm gonna play uh, just a, a video of the Advent about joy, and I'm gonna light the joy candle, and I'm gonna invite you to stand. And here's what I would love for you to do, uh, and then I'll pray and we'll close. But I just want you as you stand to be considering something that you would say, I have so much joy or I can have so much joy because Jesus came and took care of this thing for me. So would you be thinking about that as the video plays? And I'm going to light the joy candle. So Jesus, this morning, we are incredibly grateful that you conquered what we needed conquered 
the pattern and the hold and the mastery that sin had over us, that you broke it from a program and a system of uh, forgiveness and starting over to actual genuine freedom. And I pray for those in the room today that need to experience that freedom in a new and a powerful way. Would the joy of the Christmas season be freedom and joy that you provide in this time? We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.